Well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Uh, Acts chapter 16, and if you have one of uh, the Bibles from the back rack there, that's page 539. Acts 16, page 539. As you turn in there, I want to continue to just to challenge you. I, I was talking to someone this week, and I was encouraged and blessed by the conversation. They said that they're going along in Acts on their own. And uh, working ahead a little bit, and, and then just in, in with the, along with the series, I just thought that was really cool. And I know for me, I, I need those reminders too to to hear things multiple times, in order to keep growing. And, and to for me, I, I'm a, sometimes I can be a really good hearer of the word. And I think Satan's okay with this sometimes. Right? We come, and he's okay, fine. You heard it, and uh, it even moved you, convicted you even. But uh, then we walk out the door, and I think his, his next strategy kicks in of of uh, distraction, forgetfulness, uh, procrastination. And it, we kind of just leave it. And, uh, and, and um, especially, I think, th- these past couple weeks, too, just to continue to challenge us to not forget these lessons on, on conflict and, and how to handle disagreements. And remember last week, it wasn't a formula. Paul and Barnabas were not a formula to, like, oh, I disagree with this person. I'm going to break up with them, right? Again, like we demonstrated last week, they had some strong opinions. But they, they continued to come back together. They, they came back together in, in ministry. John Mark and Paul and these guys, they, they, they navigated the right way. And we to continue to challenge and encourage us to navigate conflict and disagreement the right way as well. And uh, for my, one, of the way, one of the reasons why this popped in my mind uh, yesterday was, uh, you know, we do these surveys. We did one for uh, when we were doing the lead teaching pastor, and then we do, uh, did this one year recently for the uh, youth ministries position. And, and one of the things, that we, we find this church ministries conference and things like that too, one of the first things that jumps off the page when you do these surveys and such is, um, wow, we got 50 different opinions uh, on how things should be done. And, and, it's, and it's fascinating how many of them are diametrically opposed to one another. Uh, you know, we should do this, we should do this, we should find someone here, we should find someone here, we should make this change, we should not make this change. And you're like, oh my word. And you read it going, someone's not gonna be happy, you know? And, um, and it's just the way it is, right? We're, and this is good, it's good. We have diversity of opinion and so on. I just want to continue to challenge us, not just with that, but with anything, that we continue to be, recognize and appreciate the differences of opinion, and we follow the Spirit's leading and what he does, and we are willing to yield and so on in deference and love to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's one of the things I've been challenged with, especially as we went through the Jerusalem Council and so on, to, uh, to navigate uh, disagreement and conflict well. And, uh, and that's going to continue to be an issue. And, uh, and that's okay. That's all right, but we, we listen and we remember. Today we're going to listen to Acts 6.15, or Acts 16, and, uh, and, and challenge and encourage ourselves to be doers of Acts 16 as well. So let's jump into it. Uh, verse 1, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of, Timothy, was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they came up to Mycenae, they attempted to go in Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. 
So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. God, we thank you for the gift of your word, your revelation to us, of yourself, of your will, preservation here and acts of our heritage. We are part of this wonderful, incredible, beautiful movement, the church, the church of the living God, as we see here, your direct involvement with the spread of the gospel. This is our story. So encourage us and bless us through it today. Teach us through it. May your spirit work in our hearts. Build us up. We pray this for the glory of Jesus Christ, the furtherance of his kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We can often look back on our lives, right, and see different moments that helped determine and steer the course of our life. And um, <clears throat> there's one in particular, one night I will never forget because I believe this night that God um, was one of the, the significant moments of my life. It was my first night at Word of Life Bible Institute up in New York. And um, some of you heard the story before you've heard my testimony, but um, I was... Planning my whole high school, I knew I was going to go to Word of Life one year and then wasn't sure what was going to happen after that, but I knew I was going to do that for a year. So they had a ministry there, a music ministry that I'd always loved and wanted to be a part of, so I was going to do that. <clears throat> and as it was getting closer to time to go, I, I found out that the, the requirement, the commitment, the time commitment that I went into being part of this ministry, uh, every day required an hour of practice and some other things, and I started going, oh, no, 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 I, I'm not doing that. I want to be, you know, some time to go mountain climbing and, you know, play, play, play some sport, play some basketball intramurals. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing that. And I, I changed ministries to one that was a little bit less demanding. And uh, got there, I signed up, and we had to sign up that day, you know, our, our registration for our ministry. And I signed up, got there, and did that. And that night, went to bed. And I did not sleep a wink. I laid there all night staring at the way too bright exit sign in our dorm room. And I knew, I knew <laughs> why I was not sleeping. I knew that I had run. I knew that God had directed me away and I was going another way. And the Spirit of God impressed on my heart, no. And finally, in the wee hours of the morning, I surrendered. I said, okay, God. And the next morning I got up, I went to Mr. Brian Donnelly's office, the director of the music teams there. I said, Mr. Donnelly, I made a mistake yesterday. I, 
I think God wanted me to do this. And I said, can I still be part of this? He said, yeah, and he made a separate time for me to come in and interview and try out. And, and uh, the rest was history. And I, I can look back to that night, look back to that night. And I, I can see, I can trace all the events in the years after that back to that night because that set a course of my life that determined what I did that year, what I did the next year, that enabled me to do some things at Cedarville in the ministry that I did that linked to, to me getting to know a, a girl named Kathy who I ended up marrying and, right? and, and on and on and on and on. And I look back to that night and say, oh my word, what if I had not done that? Now, maybe, I don't know what God would have done or wouldn't have done. I don't know. I can't say that. But, but I can look back to that night and say that God was doing something, setting a course for me that was his plan, not mine. We certainly see that here in Acts chapter 16. I want to look at some of the things here that went along with this story. And the, the way the outline reads is kind of, like, kind of like this. It all keys off of this statement. Paul and Silas effectively penetrate Europe with the gospel by, and then all the points kind of support that statement, by. So the first one is this. Uh, by adding and investing in Timothy. Adding and investing in Timothy. So we see this in the first three verses. We meet this young man, Timothy. Uh, we're told he has a Jewish mother who was a believer. Uh, we know, uh, reading later on in 2 Timothy, he also had a, a, a believing grandmother named Eunice and a Greek father who presumably wasn't a believer. Okay, so this is significant information here in a minute, this, these details about Timothy's background. Uh, likely, this family, or Timothy, became a believer through Paul and Barnabas' ministry uh, there two years earlier. Remember, Paul had been stoned there, but the gospel went out, church was established Timothy, we see, is well-spoken of by the believers at Lystra and Iconium. Um, Timothy was a godly kid. Uh, so, some commentators speculate that Timothy could have been as young as 18. Some have even, I read some places that said even maybe as young as 16, 17. We don't know, but he was a young man. And uh, already his faith is, is, is known. He, he, his character, his godliness about him. I, I wonder if part of that is that his faith was forged in a location. I mean, this Paul had been stoned here. Uh, so being a Christian in this place wasn't easy, and, and it's in this that, that Timothy's faith is forged. And I think we have a young man here who understood the demands of the gospel. He understood what it meant to be a disciple uh, of Jesus, and I think that helped form his faith. He was under no illusions that this was going to be easy or whatever, and, and he followed Christ, and he had parents discipling him, or at least a mother and grandmother discipling him. So he's well spoken of by the believers. Paul takes notice and wants him to come with him on his missionary journey. So he becomes, as we read throughout Acts and the rest of the New Testament, a valued co-worker of, of Paul's. Uh, we know he was at Paul's side in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. Uh, we know that he was with Paul in Corinth and later on in Ephesus where he ultimately becomes uh, a pastor. He was pastoring at Ephesus when Paul wrote uh, 2 Timothy there in 1 Timothy. We see how close they became in Philippians 2, 1 Corinthians 4. Uh, Paul says, as a father with his son, Timothy has served with me in the work of the gospel. Father-son relationship. He invested, he grabbed this young man and invested in him. Uh, and we see in Hebrews 13, it indicates, uh, verse 23 of Hebrews 13, that Timothy probably spent some time in prison as well. So this was a dynamic young man. Paul identifies him for ministry and invests and pours his life into him. This is crucial. Part of the reason why the gospel is effective in Europe and the spread of the gospel in Europe is because Paul invested in people like Timothy who were equipped and able to be sent and do ministry. It's crucial, right? I love this just as a side note, too. I already mentioned this back in Acts 14. Lystra is where Paul had been stoned for the gospel. If I'm Paul, I don't want to go back to Lystra. I was stoned there last time. It was a miserable place, 
right? We had this experience a little bit with, with, with Zach. Uh, he, he, last game of his soccer season last year was down at Kellogg'sville. These kids are really good soccer players down there. And last game of the year, uh, they they beaten us pretty good earlier in the season. Last game of the year, scores tied 0-0. And Zach's playing a, no bragging on my son a little bit. He's playing a really good game. He's a goalie. Three seconds left in the game, and you saw the thing unfold as it's coming down the field. And you saw, like, the way the ball was coming and where the offense was. And you're like, oh, no, this is going to be like a one-on-one, two-on-one. Ended up being a three-on-one. They come in and score. Three seconds left in the game. We lose one nothing. And Zach was like, guess what? We're at Kellogg'sville this year, tie score game. In the last 10 minutes, the ball doesn't leave our side of the field. And I'm just sitting there praying, like, God, don't let us lose in that same way again. Don't let us lose in that same way again. And uh, we hang on, and Zach has a good game. We end up tying them. And I was so thankful walking out of that field saying, Zach, that's so cool that at least you don't, that, that memory is erased, and now you can at least look at it. I wonder if that's, a, I love how God does that sometimes. I, I wonder if Leicester was like that. For, like, oh, I don't want to go. I was stoned there last time. This time he shows up, and there's Timothy. A totally different story. Love it that God does that sometimes. There are places of defeat and discouragement in our lives and, and, and we can go back to those places. Those places don't have to define us. Those places don't have to stand forever as places of defeat and discouragement. That God can, can do positive things and glorious works in places in the past where there had been defeat and discouragement. He finds Timothy in the place that he had been stoned. I love that. So he takes this young man, Timothy, from this place of formal discouragement and defeat, meets him, grabs him, invests in him, and the rest is history, right? So they add and invest in Timothy. Effectively penetrate Europe with the gospel by also surrendering anything that might hinder their ability to proclaim the gospel. So in verse 3, the end of verse 3 into verse 5, we read that Paul takes Timothy and he circumcises him. What in the world is going on here? Because this seems to contradict absolutely everything Paul has stood for. The whole thing of the Acts Council, the, the, the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, had to do, one of the basic things that had to do with was this conflict over circumcision. And Paul is saying, like, no, circumcision is not required. No, 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 right? He holds to a position of freedom regarding the law. And Paul made several appeals to the Gentile believers not to submit to circumcision. Don't do it. All right, we read, here's one of those places. This is uh, Galatians 5. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, if you become circumcised, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. 1 Corinthians 7, 18-20 basically says the same thing. Let him not seek circumcision if he wasn't circumcised when he came to Christ. So what's going on here? Paul changing his mind, a little wishy-washy, um, compromising, giving in to pressure. Well, some nuances here make this situation a little different. First of all, notice this. Timothy was mixed. What do I mean by that? Well, Luke goes into great detail to tell us that he was the uncircumcised son of a Jewish mother and a Greek father. It's a significant detail. 
by their reckoning, and I think it's still this way, Jewishness is passed on through the mother's line. So mom was a Jew, you're a Jew. So what you have here is someone who would be considered, in Timothy, an apostate Jew and a covenant violator by the Jewish community. He's a Jewish kid, uncircumcised. This puts him in a different category than the Gentile believers that Paul is talking about in these other passages. These Gentile believers that Paul was defending in Acts 15. Okay? And if you look later on in Galatians, Paul doesn't do the same thing with Titus. Right? Titus is all Gentile. Paul says about Titus, he, I, he wasn't forced to be circumcised, though he was Greek. Right? That's the difference. Titus doesn't need to be circumcised. That's what Acts 15 dealt with. Timothy is in a unique position as a mixed person, considered Jewish by the community and uncircumcised. That is a unique circumstance that they both recognized would be a hindrance to ministry. We know that Paul still had a heart for the Jews. He still had a heart to reach the Jews. Even though his emphasis is shifting to the Gentiles, Paul never gave up hope in the Jews. He wanted to go to synagogues and continue to preach the gospel there. That's part of his strategy. And this probably would not have been possible for Timothy to enter these synagogues. Everyone knew, Luke tells us, everyone knew in this area that his father was a Greek. And therefore, I'm hoping then would have concluded than that he wasn't circumcised. I don't know how else that would be known. I don't think you wear a t-shirt, you know, uncircumcised. You know, they, no, it would have made sense. His dad was Greek. He is not circumcised. They knew this about him. And so for Timothy to show up in some of these places ministering to Jews, like he walks in and they're going to be like, what is he doing there? Why is, why is that guy here, right? right? Be like Terry hosting a University of Michigan party. He's got his shirt on, right? All Michigan fans, and I show up with the Ohio State stuff on, like, hey, here I am, guys. They're like, what is he doing here? Like, get out, right? Uh, you don't belong here. Timothy would have received that treatment, and even worse, right? So Paul and Timothy make this decision to remove all obstacles to their ability to present the gospel. And this was the spirit and attitude that Paul had. 1 Corinthians 9. For though I am free, Paul writes, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I become as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I become as under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I become as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I become weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Right, Paul goes on in Corinthians, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. I'm free to do a lot of things, Paul says, but they're not all beneficial. They're not all beneficial to the ministry. Not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Right? Paul cared more about the gospel than his own rights. Willing to sacrifice, understand what matters most, what hills are worth dying on and what aren't worth dying on. 
And too often we die on hills we shouldn't be dying on. Right? We fight for things that are of secondary importance. Instead of being willing to yield and submit and say, this, this is important to me, this matters to me, but I also understand its place. And I submit. Paul was a master. My in-laws were such, so good at this over the years. Uh, they ministered uh, several mission trips in Muslim-majority countries, and they did their homework. Mom understood before she went how she needed to dress and conduct herself in these cultures, right? They had a lot of Muslim friends, I mentioned this. They understood when these people, these friends, come into their house, what foods to put on the table and what foods to have nowhere near the table. They were free to put it, do it, right? As a Christian, nothing wrong with them eating certain things, but they understood that these Muslim friends matter, and we want to see them come to Jesus, and we will do nothing that will hinder that. Though we are free to have that on the table, we will not for the sake of the gospel, Right? That's what Paul models here. He does it, I love this, out of respect for the Jews. And in doing so, Paul and Timothy demonstrate the attitude and spirit of sensitivity that is put forth by the decision of the Jerusalem Council. He is affirming Jewish heritage alongside Gentile heritage. So Paul hasn't given up on the Jews. He's trying to maintain a bridge to them. So to summarize this, right, circumcising Timothy had nothing to do with salvation or inclusion with the people of God. That's what Acts 15 was dealing with, right? Timothy was already in. And by the way, Paul never argues that Jews should not be circumcised. You never see that argument by Paul. He doesn't require Jews to abandon their traditions as long as those traditions are kept out of the realm of having soteriological significance. That was the circumcision problem. Paul's purpose is strategic, He didn't want any side debates or distractions to the gospel. For Paul and Timothy, the gospel must remain the main topic. We keep talking about Paul, but how about Timothy's part in this? Right? He was the one who went under a painful procedure here. We're not going to go into the details of how that probably felt, but they didn't have the anesthetics and things that we have now. And Paul, or Timothy, puts himself in this position to remove these obstacles so that he can faithfully deliver the message of the gospel. I think there's a little side note in there for us, right? Sometimes, God does require of us painful things for the sake of the gospel, to teach us, to grow us, to better equip us for the gospel. Timothy was willing to submit to that. So with that obstacle taken care of, now... Luke gives us the account of their travel. They travel from city to city, delivering the message of the Jerusalem Council. This message in verse 4 that must be obeyed. The lesson here is this. When Paul and Timothy remove the obstacles and faithfully deliver the message of the Jerusalem Council, the churches are strengthened in their faith and increases in number daily. There's a principle there. These churches were strengthened when they adopted the perspective of the Jerusalem Council and obeyed its directives, right? No circumcision, sensitivity to each other. Among other things, first of all, this demonstrates to us that the Jerusalem Council's decision was successful. It was the right call. They wisely discerned what they were supposed to do there. But here's the principle I want us to take away from this part. When they got the gospel clear, when they got the gospel right in the church, it was strengthened. And in congregations where quarreling ceased over disputable matters, they were able to be strengthened and see people come to Christ. 
right? When the gospel was clear and they understood what was worth quarreling over and not quarreling with a, over, that's when they were strengthened. That's when God blessed. That's when they were strong. It's a principle there for us. Daryl Bach writes this, kind of summarizing this section, knowing which principles are worth standing for and which ideas are not worth elevating to an importance they do not deserve is a sign of discernment in leadership. Not every issue is worth starting a war over when it comes to the gospel. Paul, Silas, and Timothy understood this. It just doesn't matter. Incidents come up, incidents come up every week this past week. Stuff comes up, this, this, and this. And some things I'm like, you know what? Part of me feels like making a big deal about that. It's not worth it. For the sake of the unity, for the sake of it, it's just not worth it. Sometimes that means I just put my pride away. I think a lot of times that's what it is. It's not really so much about the issue. It's that, no, i got to be right. My issue. You know? Paul and Timothy and Silas put this thing aside. They understood what mattered most. It takes wisdom and maturity and understanding what matters most, right? Why else were they successful? By following the Spirit's leading, responding to the plea for help from Macedonia. A lot of travel details here in verses 6 through 10. This journey across Asia and into Europe. I love this. What Luke's doing here for us is demonstrating to us that the gospel truly is an unstoppable force. It crosses ethnic and geographical boundaries. It is not able to be stopped. It is stretching now across the world, outermost parts of the earth. Acts 1.8 continues to be fulfilled, right? Then you come across this little weird thing that happens. Paul and Silas, Timothy, godly men, right? Going to make right decisions, going to go, their plans and their strategies. But wait a minute, verse 6. Forbidden by the Spirit to preach in Asia. They're traveling along. Let's go down to Asia. The Spirit says, we forbid you. Okay, um, we'll go north to Bithynia. And they start that journey. And they get there, and it says, the Spirit of Jesus says, nope, not there either. <laughs> A couple things here. Again, in Acts, we're reminded that our mission is dictated by the Spirit of God. We are not the ones calling the shots. Amen? Not us. The Spirit of Jesus, this is unique terminology. You really don't see this any other place. Spirit of Jesus. It's a reminder that Jesus is the one working through his Spirit. He is heavily involved in directing the mission of his church. This is what he had promised his disciples, right? He continues to be involved in the life and ministry of his church. His church matters to him. We've already seen this in Acts. Remember Stephen? When Stephen was stoned and he sees the vision of heaven. Remember this? We talked about this way back. That he sees Jesus standing to greet him. Why? Because Jesus cares about his church and his, his witnesses. He cares about us as we minister for him. Jesus heavily involved. In Acts 9.5, when Saul was converted, became Paul. Remember? Jesus speaks in the blinding light. I am Jesus who you're persecuting. He didn't say, stop persecuting my church. He said, you're persecuting me. You mess with the church, you mess with me. Jesus, heavily involved. His church, his mission. And this fulfills his promise, right? Back in Matthew 16, he had told Peter, I will build my church. This matters to Jesus. He's directly involved. We see that here, guiding and directing. We see here a connection between human initiative and divine guidance. One commentator uh, writes this, Robert Tannehill, 
The narrator shows keen interest in dialogue between human purpose and divine purpose, indicating that Jesus' witnesses, too, must patiently endure the frustration of their own plans in order to discover the opportunity that God holds open. This opportunity may not be the next logical step by human calculation. In other words, it may not make any sense to you. It may not fit what you think is best or right, but God has a way sometimes of stepping in even when it makes no sense. I say, I'm doing what I'm doing. Just trust me. Right? And so I sit in the living room last spring, Cedarville, Ohio, Cedarville, Ohio, with Jack and Bev Leeds. And Bev Leeds looks me in the eye and says, you know, you're the guy who's supposed to do that position at Forest Hills. And then she said this. It's like, she goes, and I know you have your list of reasons why, and it doesn't make any sense to you. But I think it doesn't make sense because it's of God. Because Jeff had the same thing in his mind when God let him down here. You know, sitting there like, yes, ma'am. You know, like, what do you say to Bev? Like, yes, I will. <laughs> you know, uh, sometimes it doesn't make sense. We have our list of reasons and our plans and our agendas, and God's like, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> so because of the guidance of the Spirit, Paul, Silas, and nope, nope, don't go to Asia, don't go south, okay, well, nope, don't go north. They end up in Troas. <laughs> Troas is kind of the end of the road. They're up against the ocean or here or the sea. Right? They're like, okay, like we were there, we tried to go there, we tried to go there, and there's the sea, like, what are you doing? I'm up against, okay, been there, right? You ever been there? God, I don't get you. You close doors, you close doors, you allow this circumstance, this to happen, this that. Like, okay, what am I supposed to do with this? <clears throat> I don't know. I keep trying. I'm trying to serve you, and this is hard. I'm trying to serve you, and this stinks. And if I'm honest, like, we're kind of there sometimes in our family, you know? And you just stuff like, God, like, we, we, we made this decision, and we, we did this adoption thing, and, like, sometimes this is hard. Like, I don't get you. Like, it would have been a lot easier. We were trying to obey you. Can't you make my life easy? Frustrating my plans? <laughs> I'm in Troas. I don't know where to go next. We find ourselves there sometimes. Was Paul, did he miss something? Did he not spend enough time in prayer? If sin in his life that is keeping him from discerning God's will? Listen, I'll say this. Be encouraged by this because sometimes this is just how God works. Period. No explanation. Period. This is just what God does sometimes. Why didn't he just tell them at the beginning of the journey? Oh, by the way, when you leave Antioch, you're going to end up in Philippi. That would have been a lot easier. Would have saved a lot of freight. But he didn't do that. I don't know why. He didn't do that. He let him experience the struggle, the frustration, wandering across the you know, Asia Minor. What I know is that we can trust our good Father to guide us and direct us. If I'm seeking him, serving him, attempting to bring glory to his name, I can trust him to guide and direct me in his way, in his time, when it is best for his glory, and when it is best for me. I don't have to understand it all. And I don't have to be afraid of missing his will. I don't have to fear that I missed his will. Like, oh, see, Craig, if you would have prayed for five more minutes, you would have found it. If you would have talked to Dan and Paul Kimball and had a couple other conversations with people, you would have been clear, but you missed it, and now you're condemned to a life of misery because you were trying to follow me, but you missed my will, and, well, sorry, good luck with that. All right, no, it's not what he does. It's not how he operates. Sometimes he leads us to Troas. 
And we sit there in our frustration wondering what he's doing, but he's doing something. Right? We knew this. When we adopted Tyler, we, we knew this. This is why I like, made the phone call to the agency. And I'm like, you know what? We're calling because we know this is the right thing to do. We feel like God's calling us to do, but like, we're scared and we don't. I, I, I still have some doubts. I said, I'm sorry if no one ever says that. She goes, they don't, but it's just because they're not honest. <laughs> you know? But we knew, Kathy and I knew, we can make this decision because we, we're trying to love this little boy. God told us to take care of orphans and widows. We know that. God, we're, we're supposed to show the love of Jesus and minister in Jesus' name. We know that. So we're going to do this. And what I can be confident of is that if God doesn't want this to happen, he'll intervene. Talk to young men, people trying to, thinking about going into vocational ministry. They'll say, I'm not sure. I said, listen, God's not going to, like the fact that you're thinking about this, God's going to honor that. And you need to have confidence. Don't worry about messing it up. It's okay. God is going to shut the He's a good father. And he's going to honor your desire to serve him. He'll guide you. He'll direct you. Right? That's what happens here. After arriving at Troas, God finally, after days of journeying, I don't know how long they waited in Troas, but God finally brings clarity to the vision of this man from Macedonia. Now they find out why God directed as he did. I'm sure there's some frustration in the process for Paul and Silas. But direction did come. And their hardship and submission to the Spirit ultimately resulted in Europe hearing the gospel. Macedonia was the priority. David Peterson in his commentary writes this, The Spirit acts as a frustrating force on two successive occasions before the positive direction of the vision was given. Right? Sometimes God's going to frustrate us, but he's going to give us direction and guidance. Peterson goes on to write, this narrative shows both the importance and the limitation of human initiative in Christian work. The plan to revisit the South Galatian churches was clearly appropriate and was blessed by God. But the plan to move into Asia and Bithynia with the gospel, though logical and practical, was resisted by God because he had another priority. In due time, God allowed the gospel to be planted in those regions. The the gospel did go to Asia. It did go to Bithynia. It just wasn't God's time and God's way. And that's how God does things. There was another family um, that was going to adopt Tyler, seriously considering adopting Tyler before us. And as part of that process for them, they took Ty on vacation with them uh, for a week. And it was that summer um, when when we ended up adopting him, but... Early in the summer, they took him on vacation, picked him up from Dana's house, and took him with them, and they came back. And the, the mom, godly people, who, who had adopted other special needs kids, I mean, was, they knew what this was about, and this, is, this was their heart. And I don't remember exactly how it all went, Dana, but the, the, the gist of it is they brought Tyler back, and the, and the lady was emotional. She's like, I don't, I don't understand this. This isn't right. Like, for some reason, God, there's something here. God is resisting our plan, frustrating our plan, and, and, and we just, we don't know why. I can't explain it, but he's not for us. Fast forward after we had Tyler, when he's in preschool, we're at Ada Elementary, there for a Christmas party. Tyler, and there's this lady, and we noticed a few times during this party, she's looking at him. Kathy noticed it. I'd noticed her phone. She had a Bible verse on the back of her phone case. Whatever. We leave. The party ends. We leave with Tyler. This lady comes out of the classroom. She's crying. It's that lady. And she said to us, she goes, you may not know who I am. She said, I'm so-and-so. And And right away she said her name. We're like, she's like, I could not figure out why God would not allow us to I couldn't figure it out. It made no sense. 
I was in this classroom today, and I watched Tyler with you. She said, I knew why. That God had him for your friend. God doesn't always do that. But frustrated, a good plan, a noble plan, he frustrated that because God had other intentions. We can trust God and be confident in his sovereign intervention as we serve him, right? Man plans his way, Proverbs writes, Proverbs writes, but God directs his path. That's what he did here, right? The priority was Macedonia. This man appears to Paul in a vision. Come help us. This man is representative. He's urging Paul. Europe is calling for help. Europe is calling for the gospel. And all of a sudden, it's, it's clear to Paul and Silas. And this becomes, and this is not an overstatement, this becomes a termin, turning point in human history. The spread of the gospel into Macedonia, into Europe, is a turning point. One of the most significant moments in human history. This is the call of one who does not know the gospel. By the way, this is the call that some of you sitting in this room need to make. I need help. Yes, you do. You need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Make the call that the Macedonian man made in the vision. I need Jesus. And here's the thing. Just like Paul respond, or God responded by, by sending Paul and Silas, he heard the cry for help. He sends the gospel to them. God still does that today. You sit here today outside of Christ and you say, you know, just as I am, I'm a mess. I need help. Yes, you make that call. God will respond and give you the hope of Jesus Christ, just like he did the Macedonian people. Make that call that the Macedonian man made. You see that Paul and Silas and Timothy respond. It says, we got ready. By the way, there's a change in pronouns here. We're going to spend a lot of time. Luke joins the team now. The we now is Luke as part of this team. They immediately go and respond to the call in verse 10. They came to the conclusion that God had called them. They put all the pieces together. And new now. And this is the only option, by the way, when God calls us to obey immediately in obedience. Paul can only help the Macedonians if he crosses over into Macedonia. We can only help a world that needs the gospel if we cross over and give it to them. And by the way, too, right? Paul and Silas, they knew what the word help meant. They knew that help meant the gospel. And we have a world crying out for help, and our answer today in our world is we throw them a lot of programs. Oh, this help, let's do this, do this, do this. Let's always remember, never forget that the ultimate help that people need is to hear the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul understood, let's go give them the gospel first. That's what they need. That's what changes lives. That's the help, right? You remember like, that, that week that Kathy's mom died and Zach on Wednesday has a, you know, appendix surgery. He comes home Monday night from a soccer game. Dad, my tummy hurts, right? So for two days, I'm giving him Pepto-Bismol. I don't know, Zach. Mom's not here. Take Pepto. You know, drink another one. Right? <laughs> drink the bottle. Mom's not here. I don't know what to do. Take Pepto. Right? I'm giving him Pepto to treat appendicitis. Right? I'm not a doctor, but it doesn't help. Right? I'm giving him the wrong medicine for what his real need was, which was surgery. That's what we do. When we give people everything else but the gospel, we're giving them Pepto for cancer. Right? Remember what we're supposed to give people. They give them the gospel, and what happens? They establish a beachhead in Rome's backyard. They encounter a God-fearing woman named Lydia, 
at a place of prayer down by the river. This is their first convert there. It's a wealthy business owner, seller of purple. I mean, she probably was fairly wealthy. And she rubs soldiers with the wealthy of society. Luke singles her out to help, singles her out to help explain the origin of, the significant, of this significant church in Philippi. It's met in her house. Note in verse 14, Lydia heard the gospel. She listened. Right? In order to receive the help of God, we have to listen. Help is not applied if we don't listen. I love this too in this section. You see this interplay between divine and human uh, initiative in, in, in evangelism, right? Paul and Silas, they share with her the gospel. They tell this group of women about Jesus, but who ultimately saves? God works in her hearts. The Lord opened her heart. Again, this is encouraging. I boldly share and proclaim. Saving them is not my business. I can boldly share the gospel because I know the one who works in hearts. We see that here. This woman comes to Jesus and she invites him as the passage closed. Come stay at my house. She's portrayed as being hospitable, open, gracious, and humble. Her allegiance has changed. She has come to Christ. And now she's on board with the mission. Now she's willing to share her home and her possessions and support the gospel mission. As a result of all of this, Philippi becomes, I would suggest, maybe the most significant church in the Macedonian the ministry over there, that side of the world. Philippians 4, 15, there was a time when Paul wrote, no other church supported me except for you. And it started with the heart of Lydia being open to the gospel. And then, apparently, this indomitable spirit, the fact that she was able to prevail upon Paul in Acts 15. Right? This lady was all about gospel ministry now. Philippi was significant. Had a proud history within the Roman Empire. Roman soldiers were encouraged to retire there because of that history. Citizens were exempt from provincial taxes. The gospel is now penetrating and coming into even more direct confrontation with Rome itself. The gospel is now aimed at the heart of the beast. Right? R. Kent Hughes writes, One woman's heart in Philippi doomed the flag of Rome. Love that. G. Campbell Morgan writes, How little the world knows of the divine movements. Rome had small idea that day that the van of the army of its ultimate conqueror had taken possession of one of its frontal defenses. On the day when Paul hurried from Neapolis over the eight miles up to Philippi and came into the city and made arrangements for his own lodging, the flag was planted in a frontier colony of Rome, which eventually was to make necessary the lowering of Rome's flag and change the course of world history. So some points of application as we close. What makes us effective in gospel ministry? First of all, find a Timothy and be a Timothy. It's not just up to the youth leaders, youth pastors, hub group leaders, missionaries to disciple the next generation. All of us. Who are you investing in? Right? We must be finding Timothys and involved in Timothys and in Lydia's to carry on the gospel. Be willing to surrender and sacrifice anything that may hinder gospel effectiveness. Right? Give up your rights. Be willing to sacrifice like Timothy was. One of the things that was frustrating my mother-in-law weeks before she died, she, they knew they were moving up here. Mom, for 25 years, taught a Bible study, a retirement community there in Goshen. And she knew 
she was passionate about finding a replacement because she knew that if she wasn't going to be it, she knew the organization that was going to come in and take her place, and she knew that they wouldn't be getting biblical truth. And she called, there's so many good churches in that part of the, 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 the state, not unlike Grand Rapids in a lot of ways. And for weeks she called, and she could not find one person willing to come for an hour a week to share the gospel with these people, for crying out loud, what are we about? Right? We're willing to sacrifice. Give up our rights. Give up our rights. Understand that some may be called to give more than others. Right? Timothy was called to give much. I saw a statement in my studying this week that said, uh, others may, you cannot. When you're a soldier of Jesus Christ, there may be things that others can do, but you cannot. You may be willing to, must be willing to sacrifice. Others may be able to avoid the pain, but for some, sacrifice is required. Ajit Fernando writes, in a society where people are allergic to pain, these things are difficult to endure. Most people will avoid such things that bring discomfort or commitment, but we should voluntarily take these things on in order to bear fruit that really lasts. I told Zach last week, his soccer season ended. He was committed to a couple different things at school. His soccer season ended. And uh, he had a responsibility, one of his commitments, the next day. The soccer team scheduled a party for that day. He wanted to go to that party. He said, Zach, you can't go. You had another commitment. Others may. You cannot. We had an arrangement and understanding with your coaches, the people directing this other thing. And your buddies are all going to go to the party. You cannot because of your commitment to this. And he did. That's the way life is sometimes. Others may. I cannot. And ask our worship team to come up and close us in a song. Give these last couple. Submit to the Spirit's leading and God's plans. G. Campbell Morgan, it's better to go to Troas with God than anywhere else without him. Right? Allow God to modify change and be willing to abandon your plans if God imposes his will on your life. Understand that God will lead us in his time and his way. Go. Establish beachheads. Build bridges. We come up with some hub groups in the coming months that allow us to build bridges, inviting people to play basketball, do whatever. Utilize those things. Common ground. Establish beachheads. Friendships. Give people what they really need, the gospel. Understand the significance of partnerships, the role of hospitality in supporting God's gospel ministry like Lydia. And lastly, respond. The gospel does you no good if you don't respond to it. Lydia heard and responded. There's a few takeaways. We're going to sing the song as we close, Agnes Day. song about the glory of God, the scene around the throne. I think Griffin's going to read you that passage before we sing it. This is what it's about right here. The glory of Jesus. <laughs>